Yes, I that's not, that's not evil. Being hostile to all mankind and subversive is not evil. Well, I have to say that because St. Paul said the Jews are enemies of the entire human race. They are. What do you think of Jordan Peterson? Uh, did you see the video about where he said I can't do it? Adam, I'm trying to do you a favor. Don't make your ignorance normative for the rest of us. Don't don't use those kinds of slurs. What? Are there no slurs here? Definitely, our most requested guest, uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones, a man who needs no introduction. I mean, it is. That's what they. That's what they pay the Rockefeller Foundation to do. Uh, you're not supposed to know what I just told you. They didn't know about this. They didn't know what we know now. Is there any argument you can use to wake them up? Yeah, I think uh, God had a plan for your life. Now you'd be jerking off every curvy piece of driftwood you saw at the beach. Maybe you would. And you're consistently refusing to talk about pornography. Uh, Pete Buttigieg yeah. seems to be the exhibit A of that process. Yes, yes. Because you think that the anus is a sex organ, don't you, Pete? Uh, Richard Spencer hands out spears and he says, charge the machine gun nest. Dr. Jones. Sorry. <laughs> Not all of the hands of the Federal Reserve were Jews, but after a certain period of time, that seemed to be the case. Hello and welcome to another episode of EMJ Live. It's a beautiful snowy afternoon in South Bend, Indiana. I uh, went skiing in southern Michigan for the first time in must be years. I've got decent snow now, great skiing, and uh, I'm just glad to be alive here. And glad I'm not in an airport somewhere. Glad I'm safe at home on my snowy, snowy street in South Bend. We had some interesting stuff this past week. I had a great interview with Jason Whitlock. Uh, I don't know whether you know him, a uh, black guy. Uh, we talked about, we had uh, a session of what I believe in most, which is unprotected intercourse. We talked about lots of different topics, but the one I want to focus on is we talked about uh, the role of the, the place of uh, black people in the society. And the paradigm, we have to deal in paradigms here, uh, is the plantation. You know, some things never change. Uh, and uh, what you have is the uh, the best way to understand the NBA, which is the basketball uh, league, uh, is the plantation. Uh, the NBA is 80% percent 
the players are 80% black and the owners are 80% Jewish. And the owners call the shots. Now, a uh, plantation used to be a place where you pick cotton, you didn't earn much money. Well, now you can earn a lot of money uh, playing on this uh, plantation, playing basketball, professional basketball, but you're still on the plantation. How do we know that? Well, because of uh, what happened to Kyrie Irving. Remember him? He posted a link to a video that he urged everyone to see. And uh, the, the Jews who run the NBA came down on him like a ton of bricks. Uh, they used their henchman, uh, Jonathan Greenblatt, to do the dirty work, but they were obviously behind it. Uh, Adam Silver, uh, the spokesman for the NBA, he, he not black, uh, he's Jewish. Uh, and uh, it became clear that no matter how many gold chains you have, <laughs> they can yank that gold chain. And they can uh, uh, yank it and they can tell you what to do. And you better, at that point, you better bow down and say, yes, master, uh, whatever you say. And I will go along because I don't want to lose that gold chain. Uh, that's the situation. That's the situation. We can go all the way back. Well, what we're talking about is the Jewish control of the black population. It goes way back. Uh, the best example, we talked about this on Jason Whitlock. Um, Marcus Garvey, an independent black man, a man from Jamaica, uh, early 20th century, comes to Harlem, the black capital of America, and he starts a black nationalist movement, and the Jews don't like it. They want integration. They don't want blacks being uppity. Uh, down south, you could be close as long as you weren't uppity, and up north, you could be uppity as long as you weren't close. Uh, and so Marcus Garvey got uppity and the group that went after him was called the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Wait a minute. I thought that was a black civil rights group. No, it's a black group that takes control of the black population and tells them what to do and what to think. The man, uh, the front man for that was a guy named W.E.B. Du Bois or Du Bois, depending on how you want to pronounce it. He would graduated from Harvard. Uh, he had all the credentials, and his job was to destroy Marcus Garvey. Marcus Garvey showed up at the headquarters of the NAACP. And there wasn't one black man there. <laughs> there wasn't one black lawyer. It was all Jews. It was Jews from top to bottom. It was formed, the, the NAACP was formed by the Spingarn brothers, uh, who were basically the Jews who ran the civil rights movement as well. Amy Spingarn, uh, part of that same group, was the the uh, the lady who created uh, black poets like Langston Hughes, and so on and so forth. So it goes all the way back. Uh, nothing has changed, as we found out with Kyrie Irving, and also we found that out with Kanye West. Kanye was a billionaire until he has said something the Jews didn't like. And at that point, he lost a billion dollars within 24 hours. And the man who nailed this, who understood it exactly what was going on was Dave Chappelle, did a great monologue on Saturday Night Live. And the punchline of that monologue was, put your chain on, nigga. <laughs> nailed it. It may be <laughs> gold, but it's still a chain. 
and the people who run the plantation will yank that chain, whatever they say, so, whatever some black guy says something like. So I'm predicting, I've been watching the uh, comment box uh, after Jason Whitlock's interview, and a lot of people are calling in, they're writing in and saying in so many words to Jason Whitlock, put your chain on, nigga. He's going to get a call from the head. Maybe Glenn Beck is going to give him the call. Someone's going to give him a call that the blaze. Put your chain on, nigger. And Jason's going to have to decide, do I want that golden chain or do I want to be free to talk to whomever I want? Do I want to be my own man? Do I want to uh, 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 devote my life to knowing the truth and spreading the truth? Or do I want to have uh, a more, one more gold chain around my neck. That's what's going to happen. Uh, God bless Jason Whitlock for his courage, a man who has some understanding of the the troubles in the black community. Uh, let's pray that he has the courage to stand up to whoever calls him and tells him to put his chain on. One of the great things about being a Catholic is uh, your access to Logos. And Logos is speech. And speech is basically talking to people. Uh, we live in a world where you're not allowed to talk to people, where there are bad people. And I am a bad person, number one. I guarantee you that. Just watch, <laughs> read the comments on Jason uh, Whitlock's Twitter feed to understand how bad and wicked a person I am. Uh, and uh, that's the opposite. That's Jewish. I'm Catholic. The Jews uh, believe in censoring speech. They believe the truth is the opinion of the powerful. They believe that uh, their rule is law for everyone but themselves and so on and so forth. I don't believe that. I believe that the truth will set you free. And so I get to talk to all kinds of different people, including uh, uh, Nazis. Okay. Now, this brings me to my uh, the reaction I had to the Holocaust narrative. Uh in a sense, I was prepared for some type of Jewish uh, attack on the book. Never materialized. They don't know what to say. They couldn't send anybody. There's nothing they can say about the factual nature of what I said. And so they subjected me to dynamic silence, which has always been the first line of defense of the Jewish narrative. They just pretend that you don't exist. Uh, but that's harder and harder to do now. So they got their AI robots working full time to basically jump on anybody who says anything they don't like, but but it, but it's not worth it. So the surprise is that I got pushback from the Nazis. I didn't think there were any Nazis left. I guess white boys, Nazis, they have certain affinities. They believe in race, the determinative power of race and so on and so forth. Anyway, it started with uh, Jim uh, Rizzoli who said basically when I talked about the Catholic participation in the whole concentration camp story, uh, he simply uh, tried to deny it. Uh, well, you can't deny it because there were thousands and thousands of Catholics, especially in Dachau, uh, and uh, thousands, actually thousands of Catholic priests in Dachau. Dachau was the camp the Nazis created for, for the Catholics. Uh, and so it was, I have to say this, uh, that interview, Gemma organized the interview. Uh, the interview with Jim Rizzoli was, God bless him, but it was one of the most frustrating experiences I ever had in my life uh, because you'd ask him for a source. And he said, well, I don't read. 
uh, it was kind of an a priori discussion where he said Hitler's a good man, and so therefore he would never do this to Catholic priests. Well, that's not much of an argument. Uh, everybody knew that the Catholic Church was at odds with Hitler. Everybody knows. I mean, you, it's type in, uh, do a, I don't, look, I'm not a big fan of Google, but if you want the conventional wisdom, you can find it on Google. Type in Third Reich in the Catholic Church, and you will find out that Joseph Goebbels, who was born into a Catholic family, was one of the most aggressive anti-church radicals who prioritized the conflict with the church. Heinrich Himmler and Reinhard Heydrich considered the Jew, the phrase Freemason, and the politically oriented cleric as enemies of Nazism. Heydrich considered Christianity the residue of racial characteristics which Christians inherited from Jews. Uh, Hitler was Himmler was vehemently opposed to Christian sexual morality and the principle of Christian mercy, which he saw as an obstacle to his battle with subhumans. There are people still out there who say, you know, Christianity is Jewish and you will be weak and you won't be able to deal with your enemies and blah, blah, blah. Himmler saw the SS as acting as the vanguard in overcoming Christianity and restoring a Germanic way of living which linked de-Christianization with re-Germanization. The goal and purpose of the SS was to become a cult of the Teutons. When Bishop Graf von Galler of Münster organized a public protest against Hitler's euthanasia program, Martin Bormann, Hitler's private secretary, ordered that the bishop be hanged because National Socialism and Christianity are irreconcilable. In his myth of the 20th century, Albert Rosenberg, the notoriously anti-Catholic editor of the Volkische Beobachter, described the Catholic Church as, quote, a primary enemy of Nazism and, and proposed replacing traditional Christianity with the neo-pagan myth of the blood. This led the Vatican to place the myth of the 20th century on the Index of Forbidden Books. Hans Kerry, who was appointed Minister for Church Affairs in 1935, gave an address in which he outlined the policy of the Nazi party to German Christianity. The party stands on the basis of positive Christianity and Christianity is national socialism. National socialism is the doing of God's will. God's will reveals itself in German blood. Dr. Zollner and Count Gollum, which is his word for Bishop Graf von Gollum, have tried to make clear to me that Christianity consists in faith in Christ as the Son of God. That makes me laugh. No, Christianity is not dependent upon the Apostles' Creed. True Christianity is represented by the party, and the German people are now called by the party, and especially the Führer, to real Christianity. The Führer is the herald of a new revelation. Is that enough evidence for you? I mean, we, I could go on and on and on here, okay? So after that, uh, this, uh, Jim, Jim says, uh, well, I don't read. Okay, well, I'm sorry, Jim, but reading is important. And so he couldn't give me any sources to back up what he was saying, okay? Now another guy shows up. This man is called the Australian Christian fascist, okay? And uh, he claims that... Uh, Christus and Dachau, Lenz's book, he launches into attack on Lenz's book, Christus and Dachau, said it's an example of atrocity propaganda, which the British, uh, British confected to control the minds of Americans in the expected coming war with America. 
Reed disputes Lanz's claim that the SS members were godless and goes on to claim that the Catholic priests who ended up in Dachau deserved to be there because they were engaged in political activity which violated the Nazi concordat with Rome. Dachau, he wrote, was for priests and Protestant leaders who were supporting communism or running other illegal congregations to help Jews and liberals. Well, they're strong words. And so how do you back them up? Well, he sends me uh, a link, and the article is called Proof of Anarchist Communist Political Agitation Hiding as Christians, which appeared in the Sächsische Volkszeitung für Christliche Politik und Kultur on January 11th, 1938. And this article explains how the teaching of the International Association of Biblical Researchers published articles which had been confiscated during house searches, which proved that behind their apparently pious activities lurked anarchist, communist, and Bolshevik intentions. So you read down to the fine print, and it turns out that the International Association of Bible Research is an arm of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay? Well, what's that got to do with the Catholic Church? Okay, and so you read further, and then the report mentions a 10-year-old married man, married man, 10-year-old married man. And at that point, I started to question the accuracy of the translation, which I said to the Australian fascist here. And so uh, to back up his claim again, he sends me the Gestapo report on Lenz specifically. Okay, in German. So we don't have to worry about the translation. So I got to read it in German. And this is, uh, this is my translation, but this is what it said. The Jesuit pastor, Johann Lenz, born on April 4th, 1902, now living in Kalksberg near Vienna, incited the people of Corinthia by making derogatory statements about the Fuhrer and the administration in the following comments. Quote, now these are supposed to be quote, direct quotes from, from uh, Lenz. The incitement against the Czechs in our newspapers is common, but ex an exaggerated occurrence. At the beginning of another war, Germany will stand alone. No one will help her, not even Italy. Hitler is Satan unchained. All the atrocities which have taken place have taken place with his approval. Concerning the Hitler Jugend, Lenz claimed that both sexes were left naked in a room with each other. Crucifixes were thrown out of the hospitals and schools, and we priests aren't allowed to say anything other than preach sermons that are nothing more than watery soup. Everyone who shouted Heil Hitler were bitterly regretted. If we were as fortunate as the Sudeten Deutsch, we would all be happy. Austria has ultimately been robbed, and it's a shame that this happened without any resistance. This, and then he goes on to say, uh, the in investigation will be continued. Now, at this point, I wrote back to uh, my friend, my Australian fascist friend, and said, why should I accept the testimony of the Gestapo as more reliable than the priest that they arrested? Well, there's no answer to that, okay? It's like asking uh, Nancy Pelosi uh, uh, to her testimony about uh, Donald Trump. Uh, so Nancy, what do you think about Donald Trump? And she says, well, he led an insurrection. Well, is that true? Because Nancy Pelosi said it? Or how are we going to, how are we going to adjudicate this? I tried by talking about Heinrich Bruni, who was the chancellor at the time, uh, right before Hitler came to power, immediate predecessor, pre predecessor of Hitler. He said that uh, the, he was unhappy with the Concordat because uh, one of the things it said, it, it banned political activity. 
well, okay. But who gets to determine whether it's political activity? Well, it turns out the Nazis get to determine it. And any, it's like the Jews. <laughs> I hate to say this, but there's a similarity here between Nazis and Jews, okay? They both believe in racial superiority and they both believe the truth is the opinion of the powerful, okay? So uh, how, how do we know that it's political activity? Because the Gestapo said so? This is like asking Jonathan Greenblatt, uh, uh, is this anti-Semitic? Well, everything is anti-Semitic because anything that the Jews don't like is anti-Semitic. And so the mirror image, anything the Gestapo doesn't like is political. Okay? Now, the impression I got when talking to Jim Bazzoli was that the jo Johann Lenz is the only guy who ever wrote about the priest experience in Dachau. That's not true. Uh, there were many, there were hundreds, hundreds of Catholic priests in Dachau, and a lot of them wrote memoirs. Uh, not all of them, but a lot of them. And and the memoirs uh, tend to corroborate each other. Uh, one of the pieces uh, that I'm dealing with now, in, in, I'm going to, it's going to be in the next issue of uh, Culture Wars, is the uh, Father Fitkow. Father Fitkow comes from the opposite end of Germany. He arrives in East Prussia just as the Nazis are ready to collapse and the, the Soviets are tumbling in. He gets dragged into Gestapo headquarters and they start attacking him because they claim he's a communist. Well, it's easy to say, but what's the proof? Well, they didn't need proof because they were judge, jury, and executioner. Okay. Another priest, Father Kentenich, okay, he gets dragged into Dachau. He's the head of the Schoenstatt movement and he claims, well, what did they claim about him? Well, they claimed that he was running retreats. Now, if you go to the actual, uh, running retreats is something the church does. Okay. Why is this political? Well, because the Nazis want total control over the discourse in Germany every bit as much as the Jews want total discourse over the disc over the situation here in America right now on the internet. Again, another similarity between Nazis and Jews. Okay. So let's go to their document. Now this is a document dated August 22nd, I believe it's 1942 and it's stamped secret to an agent, the agent in charge of father Isa's case. Isa was a, colleague of Kenterich. He was a member of the Schoenstatt movement. He gave retreats. And the agent in charge of Isa's case says that he planned, quote, to keep on supervising the retreats as much as possible and to send without official special request the names of participants, especially those of officials, teachers, and the like. The Gestapo document, in other words, affirms that the subversive nature of uh, this priest activity consisted in the retreats he was giving for girl students and women teachers and not in collaborating with communists or any other political group. Preaching the gospel contradicted the religion of race, which the Nazis were trying to instill in the younger generation. That is the real reason. That is the only reason why this priest was, quote, very closely scrutinized by the Gestapo. It is also the reason Father Kentenich ended up in Dachau. That's from the Gestapo. 
I hope that breaks the logjam here with my my friend, uh, my Australian friend, uh, the Christian fascist. And I hope it allows us to see one of the main reasons I wrote this book was to basically bring back the narrative of the Catholic participation in the whole concentration camp story. This was hijacked. I'm going to say it again. Father Lenz's book came out in 1955. This narrative was hijacked three years later by a man called Ailey Wiesel. When Father Lentz wrote his story, he said, suffering has a purpose. God allowed us to suffer to atone for sin. When the suffering was over, he restored us, okay? Ailey Wiesel, who didn't write Night, it was written in French by Francois Mauriac, who used Ailey Wiesel's Yiddish memoir as the basis of what he wrote, okay? The, the moral of Night, is God died at Auschwitz. It's propaganda for atheism. That's the narrative that needs to be, uh, we, we need to resurrect the original narrative. We need to restore some type of historical accuracy just to a narrative that is still being used to enslave us. That's my rant. Let's hear what you have to say. All right, hello everybody. Welcome to the call-in section of our show once again. This is Mike Bajakis, uh, Dr. Jones' assistant. Quick rules for those who are new. Uh, Collins are made via our Telegram channel. Link is in the description for people watching here, there, and everywhere. In Telegram, I'll call on those who raise their hands. And then later in the stream, we'll read off the text questions from the chat. Uh, try to keep questions on subject. Try to keep to one question at a time. Be respectful of everyone's time and do not forget to unmute yourself. Okay, let me jump to Telegram over here and let's start the chat. All right. Uh, Alejandro. Uh, go ahead, Alejandro. Hello, Dr. Jones. How Hello. are you, sir? Good. It is an honor to speak with you, sir. Uh, there is an author whose name is uh, S. Topper Sassi. He wrote a book called Rulers of Evil in which he claims that everything is a Jesuit Catholic conspiracy, right? And when you talk about how the Jews took over the narrative, he makes a claim saying that uh, Father Lerochowski wrote a, uh, wrote a pan-German manifesto, and eventually that turned into, uh, that became uh, Mein Kampf from Hitler. And uh, he claims that uh, Mein Kampf was in every altar in every Catholic church in Germany. And also he made a claim saying that the Jews took over the Vatican uh, Bank ever since the, water, uh, the Waterloo battle. Uh, I mean, I would just like to mention that because there are many people who claim that everything is a, a Jesuit conspiracy. Right. And I have, uh, you've been asked about it. Uh, and well, that was, uh, not a question, but, a, but a comment. Okay. Uh, what do you think okay. about that? Yes. The, the, the Jesuits are the source of the big problem. Actually, now we have a, a situation where Jesuits are the source of the problem in the church, but no one's talking about those Jesuits. If you're talking about the Jesuits back then, 
uh, they were a heroic bunch of people back then, meaning uh, beginning with the uh, 17th century uh, when they arrived in uh, Quebec or a little bit earlier when they arrived in Paraguay. They were heroic figures, absolutely heroic figures, and they were destroyed by the Freemasons. Okay, the, the, the man, the literary artifact is Candide, which was written by Voltaire. That carries, that's full of slanders of the Jesuits in Paraguay. And it had its effect because the church under buckled the Pope at that time. It wasn't Benedict XIV. He stood up to the uh, Duc de Choiseul, but uh, it buckled and uh, banned the Jesuits, suppressed the Jesuits. And that was the first step that led to the French Revolution and the destruction of the church. So that's called La Leyenda Nera. Nera. I'm sorry for my Spanish here, but it's the black legend. And this is a, a standard trope, ha, to use Jonathan Greenblatt's word, of English history. Uh, you can also call it uh, Whig history. And it goes back to uh, the battle between England and Spain over who was going to rule the world. It was a Catholic-Protestant battle, and these are the stories that uh, we got in. And um, Voltaire got involved because he was an agent working for the British British intelligence. You can uh, get the evidence for this in uh, is it uh, the Jewish revolutionary spirit? Anyway, uh, uh, Voltaire met with Alexander Pope, the Catholic poet, and Pope uh, had the suspicion that he was pumping him for information about other Catholics. He was a traitor, uh, and he was the one who basically mainstreamed uh, the legend of the pernicious Jesuits, and the result was the uh, the, the French Revolution. So that's that. Uh, that's that. There were, uh, was there another? There was another part of this that you wanted to talk about. Did I did I cover the whole thing, or was there something else you mentioned? Just the takeover of the uh, Rothschilds of the Vatican Bank. The Vatican Bank. Right. So one of the major steps forward uh, for Jewish power was the, uh, the defeat of Napoleon. Uh, Meyer Amschel Rothschild had gotten the treasure of the Prince of Hesse Castle uh, uh, because Napoleon was going to steal all the gold he could get on that big looting operation in the Napoleonic Wars. He gave it to Meyer Amschel Rothschild, who then spirited it out of the country to his uh, son, Nathan, who was in London at the time. And uh, Nathan bet uh, the bank, uh, bet the farm on because he had advanced knowledge uh, that the British were going to win. So he bet on the console. He won a huge amount of money and he spent that money lending it out to British arist aristocrats during the 19th century. Not just he, but his sons and so on. Uh, and they took over England. That's how they took over England. OK. All right. Thank you very much, sir. You're welcome. Okay. Let's go to the next question. Next question here. Thank you, Alejandro. Um, one moment, please. Uh, where is he? Ah, okay. Chosen. Uh, go ahead, Chosen. Don't forget to unmute yourself. You there, Chosen? You raised your hand, and... Hang on. Can you hear me now? I can. Oh, good. Okay. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I guess my question would be a basic one um, because I'm still trying to wrap my head around the whole Jewish narrative. And um, if um, a person wanted to know more, 
and somebody who knows absolutely nothing about what's going on and and you know the the lies that we've been told throughout history what would be a good um link i'm not asking for books because most people don't want to take the time to read books so what would be a good initial um source that i could um that i could um give them as a and i, I don't care if it's youtube or whatever i you know any kind of link that would be helpful to explain um you know what's really going on okay uh, you, you're talking to the wrong guy okay i write books <laughs> uh, the main re the main reason i'm here is to tell you uh, the the answer to your question is read the jewish revolutionary spirit there's no way to okay. get around it you want to end up like jim rizzoli who says i don't read books well no one will take you seriously if you don't read books so start reading books that's my advice. Start okay. reading books. I am not going to recommend YouTube videos. God knows there's okay. a, there are a million of them out there. No, I'm serious. You cannot be a serious, you cannot have a serious intellectual life if you refuse to read books. It's that simple, period. I, I wasn't speaking for myself, just to be clear. I was I, just, I, you know, I, so take it to your friends and tell your friends that this is the way to up their game and start reading this books. You, okay. Okay. So. Sounds good. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, moving on here, let's go to uh, Mike. Uh, go ahead, Mike. Hey, how's it going? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Awesome. Yeah, I remember seeing you in Cincinnati a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's good seeing you. Great show. Thank you. Uh, my question, my question is, is uh, do you believe uh, God? punished certain peoples for example uh ham's descendants got the curse of ham uh do you believe that there's uh maybe like temporal punishments god put on like for example jewish people for example like ashkenazis are predisposed to schizophrenia and whatnot and uh just predisposed to uh impulsive behaviors and uh certain uh, behavior characteristics do you think that's a Temporal punishment? Do you believe in any of that? No. Uh, there, there. My some of my Muslim friends will say that uh, that uh, God put a curse on, on the Jews, uh, and that usually comes from Muslim sources. Uh, th there is there is no cur curse is something that comes from the outside. It's like voodoo. Voodoo is a, a religion of curses, where you kind of take a doll and you stick pins in it, and something. Oh, I got this pain here. That's not the way. That's not the way it works. Uh, the Jewish people are punishing themselves because of their rejection of Christ. And that rejection is the source of their problems. Uh, uh, it's not a curse. They brought it on themselves. Okay. They're doing it to themselves to this day. And I'm referring to people like uh, Sarah Silverman, who says, yeah, we killed Christ and I do it again. Uh, it's hard to find that anymore. And there are lots of explanations about how she didn't really mean what she said, but that's what I'm talking about. That's not a curse. That's, that's a, a, a perverse hatred of Logos that is the norm, uh, the operating system of the Jewish mind. It can stop overnight. Okay. All the, the, I, I know, I know Jews who have uh, given up this and they've, they've converted to Logos. I know Jews who follow Logos without converting to uh, full Logos in, in Jesus Christ. 
but it's all a function of their will and their desire to perdure, to preserve this Jewish privilege. And, and uh, no matter what, uh, that desire to preserve Jewish privilege uh, goes to, that, that's why they killed Jesus Christ. Okay, they didn't want someone who was offering what he offered. So no, it's not a curse. It doesn't come from the outside. And if it doesn't work for the Jews, it's not going to work for the sons of Ham, which has often been used as a uh, um, a reason to justify slavery uh, in the South. So no, I don't believe in that. Right, yeah, it's not one. Uh, I, would, I would just add, though, I think, I mean, it even says in the Bible, Caiaphas said, let uh, the, our generations... Uh, on where I'm paraphrasing here, but let the generations after us have Christ's blood on, right, on let, our hands. Us, that's even, what, I think St. John Chrysostom touched on this too. Right. The Jewish people said, let his blood be on us and our children. That means that the Jewish people did it. They they took responsibility for killing Jesus Christ. Okay. That will never change. Okay. Does that mean all Jews did it? No. There's. I keep trying to say there's a difference between all Jews and the Jews. The Jews are the Jewish people. That was a ratification of Christ's death by the Jewish people. It doesn't mean that all Jews ratified it, and it doesn't mean all Jews have to ratify it on into the future. Even if your ancestors did call for Christ's death, that doesn't mean that you have to do it. Okay, a lot to follow up. Can we touch up on this in Jewish revolutionary spirit? Because that'd be interesting to pick your brain a bit more in one of your books. Yes. It's, read the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. I deal with that very at the beginning, at the very beginning. Awesome. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Okay. Uh, moving on here, let's go to MV. Regular here. Go ahead, MV. Hey, Dr. Jones. Uh, excellent speech. I had an interesting encounter with a good friend of mine. She's a professional female in an urban area. And she grew up sort of Catholic, but I think one of her stepfathers was Lutheran or something. And her look at Christianity generally, but Catholicism lately, she says, well, I'm really not the, all that intrigued by the whole thing because it seems to me it's all about men. It's all led by men. And that's true with major world religions. It's all about men. So she's kind of dismissing religion generally. What would you say to someone like that? I'd say, thank God it's run by men. Thank God. <laughs> 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 what? Okay. Wait, wait a minute. Now we have evidence. Okay, uh, let's let's uh, let's look at what happens when you let women run uh, an operation. Not the church, but how about government? How about Hillary Clinton? How about Hillary Clinton? I remember the time when it was arguing. People were arguing that women are much more sensitive and they're more compassionate, and so on and so forth. And I, I think that's true uh, with the mother in a family. I think it can flip to the exact opposite position uh, as soon as you allow abortion to enter the picture. And now you have now Lady Macbeth is in charge, and Lady Macbeth is worse than Macbeth because she's violating part of nature. Unsex me. That's what Lady Macbeth said as the prelude to murdering someone. Okay. The best way that women can unsex themselves is by having an abortion, a, a violation of what's the deepest within them. Now, I don't know whether Hillary Clinton had an abortion or not, but I know she is one of the most ruthless, uh, uh, bloodthirsty people to ever occupy a seat in the American government. 
And if you don't believe me, check out what she did to Muammar Gaddafi in Libya. Check out what she did to the Libyan people, how she destroyed the most pop, prop, prosperous country in Africa and then laughed about it with her feminist friends. We, we came, we saw, he died. Ha, 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 ha. Play that clip. That's why we don't want women running anything, anything, okay? Because the first hundred women who show up to apply for the job have all been willing to sacrifice their children on the altar of Moloch. That's, that's what you do if you want a serious uh, a career. You're willing to sacrifice your own child to Moloch so that you can have a serious career. We don't want those people anywhere near any political office. Well, I guess there's a reason we've heard the expression wise man and not wise woman. Thank you, Dr. Jones. You're right. welcome. All right. Uh, thank you, MV. Let's keep going here uh, to Dagtastic. Uh, go ahead, Dagtastic. Hello, Dr. Jones. How are you tonight? Good, good. Good. Um, a, a friend of the family, a friend of our family, he gave he gave me um, a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's from Magicoria, and I'm just wondering, um, should I get rid of the statue in question? If you're asking me what I would do, I would get rid of it. <clears throat> now, on the other hand, okay, I don't. Um, it's a statue. Okay, uh, I would not have anything to do with Medjugorje. I'm going to tell you straight up, uh, Medjugorje is infested with demons. Mm -hmm. If you go there, you can pick up a demon the way you pick up bed bucks in a, in a, in a sleazy hotel. Now, this has become uh, relevant once again, because guess who's going to Medjugorje? None other than Bishop Strickland. This is outrageous. This is outrageous that a bishop, he says, well, I heard that Mary was speaking. Well, you were misinformed, Your Excellency. And you would think that a bishop would value the opinion of fellow bishops. The two previous bishops here at Medjugorje, Bishop Zonich, uh, when the apparitions first occurred, and Bishop Perich, who was his successor, both of them said that this was a fraud. Both of them. No one has ever contradicted those bishops. Now, the Vatican <laughs> uh, decided that they're going to allow pilgrimages, but the pilgrimages do not in any way uh, certify the legitimacy of the apparition. Well, then why are you allowing this? This is real. This was a really bad move on the part of the Vatican. This is a policy. I don't want to get into the whole magisterial thing. This has nothing to do with the magisterium. This has to do with the policy of people who are interested uh, with connections to the Vatican Bank uh, and are interested in money laundering. So in addition to being infested with, holy, uh, with uh, demons, Medjugorje is a center of money laundering. How do I know that? Because one of the parliamentarians of the Bosnian Herzegovian parliament called me up and explained to me how it works over there. Okay. Some uh, Italian, lots of Italians there 
will give a million dollars to a, a, a an organization associated with Medjugorje. That might, they will take that money, they build a gas station, they'll start making money off of that, uh, and then they'll send back uh, the money and that he originally sent off. So he got a tax deduction, and then he gets his money back anyway. That's called money laundering, and it happens at Medjugorje. So stay away. Why is it? Why doesn't Bishop? Why doesn't? <laughs> I, you know what? I remember that lady who talked about her friends who don't read. I'm going to make a wild guess here. I would wager you that Bishop Strickland doesn't read. And you end up with a guy like this who, first of all, I don't want to blow my own horn here, but I did write the book about Medjugorje. I'm sorry, about Michael Voris six years ago. If Bishop Strickland had read that, he would never would have gotten involved with that cockamamie scheme where my, uh, that community, that so-called community in Tyre, Texas, where Michael Voris was going to be the head of the media outreach for that program. He never would have done it. If he had read my book on Medjugorje, he never would have gone to Medjugorje. This guy is incorrigible. I sometimes think that the main qualification for becoming a bishop is illiteracy. And if I had if I had to prove my case, I think I'd, I'd present uh, Bishop Strickland as Exhibit A. Yeah, I agree. Um, thank you, Dr. Jones. You're you welcome. Have a great night. You're welcome. Thank you for calling. Okay. Uh, we got uh, maybe one or two more questions, and then we're going to jump to chat so everyone – and chat and cozy start uh, writing in your questions. All right, one or two more here. Let's go with a Venice. Uh, go ahead. Hey, Dr. Jones. Uh, thanks for doing this show. Truly is a valuable resource. Um, I wanted to ask, um, in terms of the NBA teams being owned by Jews and the record labels being owned by Jews and blacks, of course, being the source of uh, talent or labor, um, are, are, are you of the opinion that they should be owned by blacks and, or, and secondarily, do you think that they'd be as successful as Jews or even white people for that matter, which I know you don't really believe in white people, but I was just wondering if you could like maybe flesh out your position on race a little. Yeah, well, we'll never know because to this day, the Jews still control the black population. I mean, ask Kanye West, ask Kyrae, and maybe we'll have to ask Jason Whitlock pretty soon either. I expect Jason Whitlock's going to get the call soon and put your chain on, nigga, and he's going to have to decide whether he's more interested in the truth or another gold chain. But, I mean, we'll never know. I, I'll give you a better, a good example. I've written about this. It's in uh, Culture Wars magazine. You can find it on the index. Is Chuck Berry. Remember Chuck Berry, the man who created rock and roll? I mean, really created rock and roll. Don't ask me. Ask Eric Clapton. He feels the same way. Ask Keith Richards. He's the guy who took the guitar and created rock and roll. Anyway, he was uh, promoted by Chess Records as two Polish Jews. And so he's there. This is on, I think it's called Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll. It's a documentary about there's the sheet music for something like Roll Over Beethoven or something like that. Chuck Berry and then the name of two Jews. <laughs> they didn't do anything about it. They didn't write any of the music. They're stealing two-thirds of his revenue, and they never put, had anything to do with it. This is the story over and over and over again, okay? I mean, uh, the guy who was the head of, uh, who wrote uh, The Crisis of the Negro Intellectual, uh, a black guy who was in Harlem, wanted to write uh, musicals. 
didn't like Gershman, thought he could do a better job with Gershman. Well, black people don't write musicals. You know, they don't do it because the Jews control that. So we'll never know. What would have happened if the Jews weren't in total control of, uh, you know, professional sports, uh, the arts and music and so on and so forth? We'll never know. We'll never know. Okay. Thanks again, Dr. Jones. All right. Let's, let's jump to, let's jump to chat here. Um, all right. Let's get me pull it up real quick. Let's go to first question. Cozy Kingfish AF asks, uh, is mass immigration being used to replace black culture? Yeah. It's re re being used to replace American culture. And uh, um, the blacks, have, for the most part, have been there way longer than, than uh, people like me have. You know, my, my wife goes way back, uh, but that's only to the 19th century. The blacks have been here ever since the slave ships showed up in the 17th century. So, yeah, that's, that's part of American culture, and they will be replaced. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one moment here. All right. Uh, question from Cozy. Dextra asks, uh, asks uh, where can a young man go to find a traditional English tweed like that? Uh, I got this online. What, 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 what is it called? It's called Etsy. Um, or you can go to, uh, there, just type in Harris tweed. You can, uh, my, my friend, uh, Tom Ryan says I should advertise Donegal tweed. It's the same. I don't want to get into that. I'm not going to get into that, but you can type in Harris tweed and you can find places where, where you can, where you can buy them. Uh, I the, the local, there used to be local men's stores. Uh, there was one here in South Bend called Gilbert's. It's now a homeless center. Uh, so people don't buy that. It's been replaced by other big chains. And the suit, I went to buy a suit there, and I, I'm not going to buy a suit from there. It's just not worth it. They're, they're not good not good quality stuff. So you, you have to resort to the Internet and, and find it. Find it. You know, it's, it's there. It's probably used clothing. I have, a, I have another Harris Tweed jacket that one of my sons picked up at a, at a, a Goodwill, is it Goodwill? St. Vincent de Paul. I think it was St. Vincent de Paul. They're probably all picked clean by now, but there was a time, you know, when, you know, the man dies, his widow doesn't know what to do with the jacket and puts it in St. Vincent de Paul. Sometimes you can find them there, but go on the internet. Okay. From uh, on Rumble, Christians Praying asks, uh, how many high-ranking Nazis were Jewish? Rosenberg, Eichmann, Goebbels, Mangels, Moore, even Hitler? There, there was, look, I'm going to tell you what Heinrich Brüning said. Uh, this is an important figure. You'll see why if you subscribe to Culture Wars and read the next issue, uh, because this is the real story about how uh, what happened af after the war. But uh, Brüning said that up until 1938, which is the when the Kristallnacht happened, Kristallnacht was the breaking of Jewish stores, the windows of Jewish stores by Nazi thugs. Up until that time, there were Jews, a number of Jews, maybe a significant number of Jews who supported Hitler. And then after Kristallnacht, they withdrew their support. So this is kind of the, the unwritten story. It, the other story is that the Nazis and the Zionists basically had the same program, okay? They both wanted Jews to leave Europe. And they were collaborating. That's another collaboration that no one talks about because 
the Jews took over the Holocaust narrative and they, they, they use it to promote their own, own interests. On Cozy, Mark Newcomb asks, uh, how can we know a Jewish to Catholic con conversion is a true change of heart given that Jews are allowed to conceal their positions? Well, you, you, the, the, the classic instance of this was the Converso crisis in Spain. That is exactly what led to the, to the Inquisition in Spain. There was, if you read the Jewish revolutionary spirit, you'll see that after the disputation of Tortosa, basically every Jew in Western Europe either converted or moved to Poland. It was a massive conversion. And once you get swept up into this thing, Spain had to mad, a lot of Jews and they, they converted. They all converted or they left. Well, some of them weren't sincere. And so what you had was a real serious problem. And uh, the, the king tried to solve it by bringing in the Inquisition. Uh, that didn't work. And so he expelled them. And that created another problem. <laughs> that created a problem for they all, half of them went to Holland, half of them went to Turkey. In Turkey, they end up being the uh, the Donmet, and that was a revolutionary movement. When they got to Holland, they were involved in uh, the banking, the capitalism, the sugar trade, the slave trade. Uh, it, it, it's, it couldn't solve the problem. So it, it is a serious problem. It is a serious problem because the rabbis do condone false conversion. The rabbis condone it. So you can lie. The rabbi will give you permission to lie and say, yes, I'm a Christian, and you got baptized, and you didn't mean it. And that led to really ugly, real ugliness. And the ugliness I'm talking about is basically the rise of racism in Christian Europe. Limpieza de sangre, purity of blood, became an issue in Spain because they couldn't really figure out whether these people were lying or not. So it, it was an ugly, ugly situation. But the rabbis are to blame because they condone false conversion. From Joe Indians on Cozy, he asks, uh, how do you break the cycle of sin? Uh, first of all, uh, you have to recognize Jesus Christ as the God. Uh, only God can forgive sins. You have to understand that we're talking about the past. If there's one thing that is totally immutable, it is the past. You can't change anything about the past. And if you sin in the past, you can be consumed with regret. I'm, read my piece on Nathaniel Hawthorne, a man who was consumed by, by guilt for some reason that I don't understand. So anyway, you have to recognize that only Jesus Christ can, can, can forgive sins, but that he delegated this to his followers, to the group of people known as priests and the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church, the priest in the Catholic Church through the sacrament of confession can forgive sin, which means you can start your life all over again and uh, have a successful life uh, at the end. Uh, now, again, I want to talk about what I you know, you can overemphasize this, you can distort that too. And that was precisely the case with Michael Voris, uh, who was a classic example of cheap grace. Okay. That means the, the sin is the arrow you move, the arrow, you still have the wound. You have to heal the wound. You have to do that. And that requires penance and that requires patience, but it's possible. It's doable, but only through the Catholic church, 
only through the sacrament of confession because the priest has been given that power by Jesus Christ. Whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven. Whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. That's the biblical reference to this. So people say to me, well, I just pray directly to God. Well, that means did he delegate you as someone who can forgive your own sins? No, it doesn't work that way. Okay. Uh, from a user on Cozy, Dr. Jones, do you think that the Pope reads? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question because if bishops don't read, then what does that mean about the Pope? <laughs> Look, the, I, my, my original statement was bishops don't read. Okay, I, I went through this with the former bishop of South Bend, Indiana. John M. Darcy was going to whatever it is, his eternal reward. Okay. I published an article in Culture Wars about a dead baby found in a trash can at St. Mary's College. Walk in, there's a meeting with the bishop and he puts, there's the, the magazine in front of him. The first thing he says to me is, I did not read your article. This is why I'm starting to think this way. At that point, I should have gotten up and walked out, but stupid me, I mean, now I, di I didn't do it. And so guess what the focus of that discussion was? It wasn't the dead baby in the trash can, which is what I wrote about. It was what's E. Michael Jones's problem? So uh, bishops, uh, I have to say this, I get the sense bishops don't read. CEOs don't read. Bishops sometimes think of themselves as CEOs. Maybe that's why they do it. The Pope is the Bishop of Rome. So we're constructing a logical argument here. So uh, as a bishop, he probably developed a bad habit of not reading. Now that's completely speculative on my part, but I think that's my argument. Uh, from SS Tiger on Cozy, uh, any thoughts on the uh, Kalargi plan? Uh, is that what is going on now? It seems, I don't know. I don't know. I've not done any research. I know what it is. It's basically to replace the European population with immigrants. Uh, I think it's it's plausible to me. I, I live, as I said, I've told you before, I lived through this in the United States of America. Uh, we, uh, the Irish were cleansed, ethnically cleansed from North Philadelphia by hordes of black people who were brought up to Philadelphia by Leon Sullivan and the Ford Foundation. So I'm familiar with this type of uh, replacement uh, theory. Uh, and I think it's true. And I think it's now happening in Europe. Uh, this is a question that's uh, hinting from an earlier question uh, from St. Paul Enjoyer. Uh, why couldn't a Jew just stay unconverted and live in Spain at that time? Well, he he could. I mean, they did. Not every Jew converted. It was a mass conversion, but not every Jew converted. And if the Jew didn't convert, he was not subject to the Inquisition. The Inquisition was only for Jews who converted. When you convert, you're a Catholic. You're not a Jew anymore. That is a fundamental fact of conversion. When that, uh, if, if Ju the Jewish identity is rejection of Logos, if you accept Christ, you've rejected the rejection of Logos. And so you're in no way, shape or form uh, uh, a Jew anymore. You are a Catholic. And as a Catholic, you need to follow the laws of the Catholic Church. Now, we don't do that. But in Spain, they felt that they could enforce uh, the Catholic faith on these people, the Jews who had converted. If you were a Jew who did not convert, the Inquisition didn't touch you. 
unfortunately, uh, when the expulsion came, they had to leave. Everybody had to leave, you know, and they had to, it was just a bad situation. But no, the Jews, there were Jews who did not convert and they were not touched by the Inquisition. All right, it's uh it's six o'clock. Want to do a couple more? Or? Yeah, let's do two more. All right, uh, this was a kind of a two-parter here from Colin Neighbors. Um, uh, I've seen several videos of IDF soldiers and Israeli politicians stating that they uh, will be re rebuilding their temple soon. Uh, do you believe another uh, uh, Julian the Apostle, uh, the Julian the Apostate-like situation might happen again? Absolutely. I think that they better read my book on what happened to, uh, at the time of Julian the Apostate before they make any further plans. But I think there's a sense, I've said this before, there's a sense of panic driving the Jewish population right now because no Jewish kingdom has lasted longer than 80 years. Ehud Barak said that, all of the prime ministers know this. And I think that's the panic that led to the uh, Al-Aqsa flood uh, incursion. And that's what's driving this sense of desperation that you see with this, the, among the Israelis right now that is leading to the genocide of the Palestinian people. It's a horrible situation, but I think it's driven by desperation. And behind the desperation, the only solution that I think they see is if we build the temple, then we'll be safe. It's not going to work. And uh, last question here from Rumble. Uh, Danaville 33 asks, uh, have you looked into the role of the Jews and the opium trade wars in China uh, run by the Iraqi Jews named Sasaun, I think. Um, if you're asking me if I've written something about the Jews and the opium war, the answer is no. But I mean, from just anecdotal information, uh, it, it wasn't just the English. It was the Yankee traders, all those New England Yankees. They were they were dope. They were dope drug drug dealers. Uh, created great fortunes by smuggling opium, uh, selling opium to the Chinese, transporting it around the world. So it's a story that's worth worth noting, a story that's worth noting. And I think that one of the people who was influenced by this story was, was Aldous Huxley. Uh, in Brave New World, he used the idea of Soma. He mentioned Soma. He didn't say what it was, which drug it was, but as a way of controlling the population. And I wrote a long article about that's what's happening in Michigan right now, not just Michigan, but across the country, we're seeing the legalization of marijuana uh, uh, and uh, as a way of making the popular population docile. And, and didn't you also say that um, this fentanyl crisis is revenge from the Chinese in some way? I from, didn't say that. You didn't say I, that? I didn't say that. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the fentanyl crisis is about. Don't know what that is? Okay. All right. It must be something else. Well, there you are. Thank you, everybody. Uh, this has been uh, EMJ Live, 58th episode. Uh, we're here every Friday at 5, if you don't know. Uh, if you're not already, subscribe to Culture Wars Magazine at culturewars.com. Uh, and all of Dr. Jones' books can be bought at fidelitypress.org. People were asking earlier. We are banned off Amazon. Fidelitypress.org is the only place you can get our books. And obviously, subscribe to the Telegram, the Cozy, the Bit Shoot, the Gab, all that. I have no serious announcements. Uh, any final words, Dr. Yes, Jones? Yes, just what I said before. If you, don't, if you don't read, you're not in the game. You're not a player. You're going to be controlled by the winds of uh, people who uh, want to manipulate you. So start reading. All right. See you guys next week. God bless.